Fundamentally, if you could cut the cost of blood testing, make it very small, make it usable in the home, what impact could that have? Rather than saving time for a doctor, which is important, can we increase health span for everybody? Most people that have the traditional insurance Western medicine paradigm, the lens is so fixed. If you need blood tests, you go to the doctor. Let's put a device in every home in America. Rather than making blood testing reactive, where, okay, I have terrible symptoms, now I'm going to get a bunch of blood work and hopefully they'll figure something out. It's making it proactive, where people are getting much more blood tests and that's the cornerstone of their whole health journey. It helps to do the blood test because then you know what to work on. Medicine is getting better, but it's too expensive for most people. Having more data makes it easier. If you give a doctor lots of data, here's five years worth of blood tests, why am I feeling bad? The chances that they're going to give you a good answer quickly are very high. What gets measured gets managed. Life expectancy is not increasing while cost is increasing in the standard medical system. And that is not true in Europe. America is just, it's obviously broken. I don't think anybody can argue it's not. Yeah. We don't have a very strong opinion of how to fix it besides that you need more data and you need more control over the situation. There are lots of doctors writing books and so on. They're kind of dropping out of the standard approach and saying, okay, we need preventative medicine. Mike, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Austin, Texas. You haven't been here in five years, yeah, six yeah. years. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks, Josh. Yeah, it's a really cool experience being in Austin because I feel like it's the freaking technological wellness health epicenter of the entire world, man. People think of New York and LA as like the big ones, but this place I've been feeling for a long time, especially mm. with what we do here on Wellness and Wisdom, it is the perfect time for people to empower themselves in their own home. So many people, which is why you do what you do, are just kind of lost in the sea of Western medicine. They want clarity. They want to understand like, what do I do with my blood test? What does it even mean? This is a really exciting conversation. I remember back in the day, 2014, I went to Fisherman's Wharf in San Diego for like one of the first quantified self uh, mm. meetup groups. This is back when like Kevin Kelly was going strong and Tim Ferriss was talking about it. And I found all these different tools. But at the end of the conference, I was like, what do we do with all this stuff? Like, how do we make meaning mm. of this? Even my aura ring that I wear. So for people that don't know you, man, give us like the 30,000 foot view of Mike and of SciFox. They heard a little bit about you in the intro already, but just share with us, like, what are you all about? And, and how'd you get into this world, by the way? The medical world is not exactly an open door. You have to work your way in there in a certain way. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Uh, so Originally, uh, my background is in chemistry, so I originally studied chemistry and biology. I didn't work in it, so I, I did uh, several startups. Uh, first one was an electric vehicle charging, actually, which was acquired, and then I worked in manufacturing. So I lived in China for a while doing manufacturing. I then uh, set up a factory in Grand Rapids, so I've kind of lived around different places because of this. Um, originally from New York. Basically, the way I got into this, it's actually... it's. Really a bit of an accident, but my family actually has a history in, in medicine. So my both my grandparents, three out of four of my grandparents were doctors and so on. But Ooh. I never had any plan to be involved in, in medicine. I always was kind of, uh, you know, if you're entrepreneurial, the last thing you want to do is deal with bureaucracy, right? So basically yeah. medicine is incredibly bureaucratic in America. And to be honest, you know, if you're young, you don't even have to deal with it, right? You can kind of try Hopefully to avoid not. it. Yeah. Yeah, most of the time, um, and so that's that's how I treated it. Uh, and then when we 
founded Cyfox, it just turned out that uh, Cyfox was started around the chip technology, so a silicon chip technology. So basically, it's kind of interesting. So 20 years ago, the internet was built on fiber optics. Uh, and at the end of the fiber, when you get into the data center, there was a large box which would convert the light into electricity, which could then go into computers. Uh, but then people started actually taking that box and miniaturizing those boxes onto chips. So now you could control light on the chip in silicon structures, the same type that are used like in the chips in your phone and so on. You could make it very cheap, very scalable, and that's how the internet scaled up. So like, if you think about everybody moving to Zoom during COVID, the internet didn't break, right? So it was very easy. They just printed more chips, built more data center, like it all works, right? And so that, that technology is really incredible. Uh, and it just turns out that a lot of the tools used in bi biotech, like if you, especially in blood tests, like if you walk into a LabCorp or Quest lab and you take apart the instruments, they're full of optics. And so we realized shortly after starting the company that the best thing we could do with the technology was to actually miniaturize the blood testing tool. So that's how we got into this. Uh, my co-founder is a really well-known engineer in the chip optical chip space. So he designed one of the chips that's basically the most successful one in the world for, uh, that's a silicon photonic transceiver. So it's for sending data through fibers. But like when you send an email, there's a very good chance it's going through one of the chips that he designed like by hand. Well, not by hand, but you know. Sure. Uh, by mind by hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chips are very scalable. So like if you make a good chip, it you know gets distributed all over the world, right? It's a little bit like software. You know, there's one search, right? So there are, you know, a couple of search engines. There's not a thousand. So anyway, so we realized that kind of the next frontier for this technology is miniaturizing these types of tools. So there are other people doing this for like DNA sequencing, trying to miniaturize DNA sequencing and so on. Actually, we have several of the founding engineers at our company from a company called QuantumSci, which used the same technology to miniaturize a DNA sequencer over the last decade. Um, and after we got into blood testing, I realized that you can't work fully within the system of blood testing because the way it's done now and the way the whole medical industry treats it, uh, it's just super uninnovative. So there's not a lot of incentive in the system to make it better. I'm I'm not the person to, you know, be kind of like talking about this from a pedestal, right? So I'm just like anybody else who who kind of uses the medical system, but obviously everybody knows it's broken and it's very hard like a lot of medical devices what they do is they'll go to 100 doctors and say, "Okay, what do you want?" And so the doctors tell them they work on it for five years or 10 years, they release it. And then it turns out, ah, you know, we didn't really, or like the insurance company doesn't like this. And you know, there's this kind of stuff and things, there's really not a lot of innovation. Um, so we decided to, to take a diff different route and just look at fundamentally, if you could cut the cost of blood testing, make it very small, make it usable in the home, what impact could that have, right? So rather than let's say saving time for a doctor, which is important, uh, it's like, can we, for example, increase health span, right? For everybody, uh, like, what would this look like really at scale? Is it possible to do something interesting? And what we found is that the science on blood testing and biomarker tracking is way ahead of what's being done, right? So if you have money and you're using a functional medicine doctor, you're paying a concierge medicine service, you know, $100,000 a year, you're getting blood tests much more frequently. They're getting analyzed much more seriously. You're being tested for many more markers than the average person, right? Uh, and so that's something that, you know, the semiconductor technology is really good at make dem democratizing things, right? So the reason everybody has this magical device that talks to the internet, camera, everything is because it's full of chips. So yeah. we were able to take all these really expensive technologies and make them small and cheap. Uh, and so really where there's an impact is if you're serving millions and millions of people. 
Uh, and that's why we went after specifically at-home blood testing. So instead of just improving what's going on now, making it a little bit cheaper or faster for the existing incumbents, we really wanted to go after, let's put a device in every home in America and make it possible for people to, rather than making blood testing reactive, where, okay, I have terrible symptoms, now I'm going to get a bunch of blood work and hopefully they'll figure something out. Yes, It's making it proactive where people are getting much more blood tests and that's the cornerstone of their whole medical journey or their health journey, right? They're getting all this data and they're able to see things early, they're able to optimize and so on. So that that's kind of how we got into this. It was really kind of step by step. So we didn't set out to fix healthcare or something like that, like a lot of companies do. And there are some, some companies doing that in different ways that, that are doing a really good job. But we really started out from like a technological perspective of here's what's possible. And then how do, yeah. we, how do we make an impact with this? It's exciting because I, I think about the different panels that I've used in the past. And I used Wellness FX and a couple other ones and they were great, but they didn't really like have the gravitas that I feel from Cyfox. Like when I used the product and I sent it in, it was super easy. I dropped it in the mail. Part of me was like, how does this even work? It's a dried sample. Like mm-hmm. This gets processed in a lab. How could this possibly be accurate? But this sensor chip, this is really what it's about. This silicone photonic biosensor. This tech you said has been around for how long? The biosensor tech. So, so let me. I'll explain the whole thing. So basically, uh, we. So the target of the company is really to make it possible to do this in the home, right? So that's not what we sell now. We sell kind of an intermediate product, uh, but it's a much longer path to be able to market something and sell something in that that you use directly in the home because there are two ways that blood tests get regulated. One way is if you have a central lab where there's a lab director that's kind of overseeing everything that's happening and another way is if you're literally using it in the home. So our goal in the relatively, you know, medium term, short term is to do a home device uh, that goes through FDA and everything. And this is what the cartridges look like. So there's a small reader that goes with it. And it's on the screen and, for uh, y'all on YouTube. So we have a close up of this on the screen right now. There's a chip in here that basically has a bunch of very small sensors uh, at the chip scale. So it's that black square. Um, and that's where the magic happens. So that's a miniaturized version of something that you would see inside uh, large lab instruments. So wow. it, it does a uh, very similar type of chemistry uh, it uses all the same type of reagents. It's really just making the readout small. Uh, we actually chose an FDA cleared instrument uh, and miniaturized that. So we kind of tried to stick to what's already working. It's not really like a new technology. Uh, that instrument already uses chips like this, but it has a very big readout. So we really miniaturized the reader and some other parts. So that's that's the crux of what the company is doing. But because it takes so long to get that through the FDA, fully developed, scaled up, we decided to go to market with an intermediate solution, which is like the best thing you can do with uh, like slightly less innovative technology, but it's 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 actually better than anything we could find out there. And if you've tried things like Wellness Effects or Inside Tracker or whatever, you still have to go in and get the Venus Draw. Yeah, and it's a pain in the ass. Yeah, and you're, it's not something you're going to do every month, and yeah. it's very costly. So what we ended up doing is we. Uh, built something around this card. So we don't produce this, but it's actually a very innovative technology. So what this does is when you put blood on the um, on these squares, so you put a small amount of blood from the finger on these squares, it separates the blood cells from the serum. And so then it, as the blood runs across, and so you've, you've done essentially what like a centrifuge does in the lab. So they'll usually spin your blood and get the blood cells to come out. And that allows it to be, uh, it's, it, once it's dried, it can be stored for two weeks. So it can be mailed via USPS. It's very convenient. And then it gets rehydrated and processed at the lab. So this technology already exists out there. You can, for example, get an Everly Well test uh, that'll do like one or a couple of biomarkers with this. But what we did is we really worked to stretch the amount of markers you can do from this card. And we're always 
actually innovating on that. So our goal is in, over the next year to half the amount of blood for the same amount of markers. Um, and we, we don't exclusively, it's not exclusively our technology. We're even using FDA clear tools and things like that. It's just, let's get something to market that does a best in class test that people can do really low cost. So we sell it basically at cost, just trying to get the volume of blood tests up overall in the world. Yeah. Right. And learn a lot from that. Learn together with our customers. Like, what does it mean when you start tracking you know, on a frequent basis, how do we improve people's it. health, stuff like that. It's really, that's, really amazing. That's what we do now. I, I yeah. think this is cool. And the reason why I think this is amazing is because I've actually done the test where you just do the Lancet, you drip the blood mm -hmm. on there and you send it in. I actually did it when I was on vacation. And this is like in the middle of Tennessee, we were out there yeah, in yeah. the middle of nowhere. And I was able to just take it to a, a PO box, a drop box. And so I'm, I'm thinking about the people that need to know, maybe on a quarterly basis, we can talk mm -hmm. about in our podcast, you know, the actual schedule of how often one should be testing their biomarkers. But I think about most people that have the traditional insurance, Western medicine paradigm, the lens is so fixed, Mike, in that world of if you need blood tests, you go to the doctor. If you need care, you go to the doctor. How do you even start to bridge the gap between the current, I guess you could say consciousness Mm -hmm. around Western medicine and the paradigm of if you want to get well, you have to see a doctor versus this is true health because you're an empowered citizen scientist. You're the true N equals one that actually is taking control of their health. And you can do it for like a freaking fraction of the cost. Some of my labs that I've run are thousands of dollars. Yep. You can get 17 biomarkers from dripping your blood on a piece of paper. I mean, I know I'm being reductionistic, but yeah, it's yeah. freaking incredible where we are in the technological world. So how do you begin that conversation with, you know, this global audience and just, you know, at this table, man, of like real empowered health between the old model versus the new model? Because the new model is where it's at. Well, I think, you know, one thing we really thought about a lot when we were designing this product is basically, okay, we're going to give people a very broad panel, like the broadest we can for the amount of blood, the, the amount of money, that kind of thing. And that's going to cover, you know, inflammation, metabolic health, cardiovascular risk, uh, hormonal. And we actually have some expansions where you can do more hormones. Um, and the, the reason we did that is because there's this already this existing, very powerful movement of people taking control of their health. And it's happening through all these different channels. So it's everything from podcasts to doctors coming out and saying, you know, there are lots of doctors writing books and so on. They're kind of dropping out of the standard approach and saying, okay, we need preventative medicine. If you look at actually the graph, this is incredible. This graph alone kind of says it all. If you look at life expectancy versus dollars spent, so the U.S. is now plateaued. So life expectancy is not increasing. And we're not even talking about health span. This is like being alive at all. Just surviving. Uh, just surviving. Yeah. Forget even health is like a different story. Yeah. But uh, life expectancy is not increasing while cost is increasing in the standard medical system. And that is not true in Europe. So if you look at all the European countries, I think if you, you can include like Israel and a few other countries, the, the graph has a bunch of, you know, basically your typical Western country everybody's life expectancy is increasing and the cost is not increasing that much. And so America is just, it's, it's obviously broken. Like, no, I don't think anybody can argue it's not. Yeah. We don't have a very strong opinion of how to fix it besides that you need more data and you need more control over the situation. So essentially, I, I think a good example is like diets, right? So the USDA food pyramid diet obviously failed everybody, right? Miserably. So that, that was a disaster. The question is like, what's a good diet, right? I think that's, very hard. I mean, people, there are camps, right? There are all these like tribal camps of diets, but the reality is what you really need is to figure out what's working for you because people are just very different. Uh, and they've had a different history in their body. Like you may have a, 
really high insulin resistance, you might not, right? So, and this is something we see all the time. We're testing thousands and thousands of people, right? So we see a lot of variability for how people respond to diets, mm. uh, in general, like what their body, how their body can process food, metabolism, and so on. Uh, and really our belief, I mean, as engineers, is just that you would never really try to fix anything without having sensors on it, collecting data. Uh, and, you know, if you can't afford to have a physician that's incredibly highly trained looking at you, you know, like a prize racehorse, right? Which some people do and that works, right? Like, you know, we have an 80 plus year old president, right? So that's, yeah. that's not something that was feasible a hundred years ago. So medicine is getting better, but it's too expensive for most people to get that kind of scrutiny. Having more data makes it easier, right? So if you give a doctor lots of data, here's a, here's five years worth of blood tests. Why am I feeling bad? The chances that they're going to give you a good answer quickly are very high relative to you coming in. They don't know any, you know, there's, you've had one blood test a year. They haven't even tested you for most of the interesting things because you haven't had symptoms. Now you're not feeling that great. So that starts like a Ooh. debugging process. If you have a baseline and you're, that you've been optimizing against, and you see something change, that's much easier to deal with. And it's even something that people can take into their own hands. So they can say, okay, you know, I'm going to try the keto diet, right? Let's see how, what effect this actually has on me. Like, does this have an effect on my testosterone? Does it have an effect on my sleep? Like, is my cortisol sure. actually... Or the big you know, one, cholesterol. Yeah, lots of people... Exactly. Lots of people mm. are worried about their ApoB and cholesterol uh, when they go on a keto diet and tracking that and seeing whether, you know, they can optimize it even while staying on that diet and so on. And so all of these things are... Uh, just made easier and more quantitative if you're doing blood tests. Um, and I think that's a big missing part in general. Like uh, there are a lot of people proposing solutions, like how to fix the fact that Americans are generally very sick, you know, six out of 10 Americans of chronic disease. So there are a lot of solutions, both from the medical system and also from kind of alternative and holistic medicine, everything else, diet, uh, you know, from all angles, like exercise. Uh, so our position is just trying to look at what you know, we do make recommendations based on the blood test, but we kind of stick to the ones that are so well known yeah. that they're not really controversial. Everything else, we basically leave it to people to take control of it themselves. I mean, we're just giving you the data, showing you the context, like what does it mean? Yeah. Uh, and then you can go out and essentially find what works for your, uh, like for your unique system, right? Because human body is incredibly complicated and like all these one size fits all systems usually don't work for people. It, bl it um, blows my mind because you and I, Mike, have unique thumbprints, right? So we are biochemically yeah, yeah. individualistic, yet we have so many blanket fucking approaches in the traditional system that's like, if you're sick, take this pill. There's almost like a flow chart, which essentially yeah. leads to pharmacological intervention. That's just kind of how it goes. Yeah. And so that system is broken because if you go 30,000 feet above it, you can obviously see that there's really no customization. There's really no data-driven decisions. And to be honest, I'm curious how you feel about this. Most physicians, it seems like they don't even want to do full blood panels mm -hmm. because then they'd have to spend time interpreting that panel. Have, did you find that when you were going through the creation of this company? Yeah, I think there's a lot of pushback. Uh, I can give you an interesting example. So we talked to somebody that's worked for a long time in standardization of insulin testing, uh, not too successfully. So, so there's not a lot of like if you get an insulin test from different labs, you'll get pretty varying values, uh, like de depending on which tool is used at that lab. So she's working on that for a long time. And we told her we're building a home insulin test. And so we're curious about like which tool should we try to standardize ourselves to and things like that. And she's like, why would somebody want a home insulin test? So basically, despite doing insulin, you know, working in the insulin testing field as an academic for a very long time, she did, actually didn't really like believe in the fact that people even need this number. Right. When in reality, you know, insulin resistance is probably one of the biggest health problems in America. You know, it's far larger than 
uh, like you're t- it's I mean it's it's one third of Americans are going to be diabetic like at the pace that they're going right yeah, yeah. so it's, it's just very funny uh, and today fasting insulin isn't even measured uh, typically right Unt- until you get to a very uh, you know once you're diabetic they might measure it but it's it's not something that's screened at all unless you're um, part of our community I mean that's definitely yeah, exactly. something we care about because fasting yeah, yeah, yeah. insulin dictates a lot of other ancillary things of course yeah yeah and it's it's stuff it's totally uncontroversial science right so there's no this isn't like there's one guy who's the fans, fasting insulin guy who's been publishing papers about this it's like piles and piles of literature everything's been studied right but it's just uh yeah, the system's really not set up to deal with it. Um, the whole philosophy of it, the way that um, it money is spent in the healthcare system doesn't support this kind of preventative approach. There, there's a lot of issues. I think it's not, um, you know, doctors are kind of working within this bureaucratic system. And I think it's especially the ones that are kind of in a standard path. It's not really their fault. It's just how it is. Uh, it's, it's just how the system works around them and yeah. kind of channels them into this way of doing things. I will say that American medicine is incredibly effective at some things, right? And if you look at what it's effective at, it's where the feedback loop is very quick. So essentially, like if you're doing a surgery, the feedback loop is right then and there almost. Yeah. Uh, and they're amazing at that. Yeah. When the feedback loop is like years, that's when they start losing, you know, there's just not enough. Uh, and there, there's a great... Uh, book i think this is a daniel kahneman book uh where he talks about like when they study experts the ones that are much better are the ones that get a lot of feedback so if like fast feedback imagine that yeah and then they can they can basically train themselves you know it's kind of like chat gpt right there's just a lot of data right so they get trained on like what works what doesn't even if they don't fully understand it right so if, if you're seeing the intervention work in your patients quickly then it's much easier to train yourself like where what works what doesn't how do i do this and that might be one reason why drugs are used so much because they work quickly, right? So it's just something that the doctor can give you. The result is like, you know, two weeks later, bam, right? Uh, and it's much harder with other interventions because sometimes you have to do them far in advance and the feedback loops are not that great. And it's it, and that's just how it ends up going. And it works much better if the person's themselves invested in it and tracking themselves, right? Mm. Because you just can't, there are not enough doctors for everybody to have three doctors looking at them all the time. Right? Sure, it's just sure. not realistic. Yeah. A big point of contention that I have is that, you know, I, I struggle with chronic sinus issues for the majority of my life. And I took probably every antibiotic out there so much mm. so that I developed Marcon's multiple antibiotic resistant staff. And so the way that I'm healing that is through natural care and working with functional med doc, but I'm really fortunate. Like, let's not sugarcoat this. I'm fortunate. I'm in a place of resources where I can do that. The average person, they just don't have that much coin to throw. And let's be real. Those metrics that you mentioned where, you know, a third of Americans are marching their way to diabetes or more. Those are the people that live in economically depressed areas that they need a break. You know, mm-hmm. they need a financial break for this. I'm curious, do you know who Peter Diamandis is? Have you heard of him? Yeah, his I work? have, I have. All right, so he said something, um, I think it was last year, it takes 17 to 20 years for new technology to reach the GP's office, to reach mm-hmm. uh, a medical yeah, yeah, director's yeah. office. And I think that that's just not fast enough now. Yeah, because for your, for your own life, right? It's too, yeah, it's not I mean, what am I going to wait 20 life. years to be healthy and be empowered? So yeah, yeah. I wonder how you'd answer this. So if you look at Moore's Law, where the doubling of circuitry and the lessening of cost, mm-hmm. we hit the hockey stick, I don't know, seven, 10 years ago, where technological inspiration and innovation went skyrocketed. Human evolution still on its path. I mean, we're only 2% different than our Neanderthals. Mm-hmm. 
So with technology, there comes some trepidation from people. And then there's the other camp where it's like, they just want it. They can't get enough of it. They're transhumanists. You know, there's there's yeah, little yeah. weird camps that form. And how do we speak from the middle, Mike? Like, how do we get the best of both worlds of, of natural health and following the body's natural signals? And then how do we also use the good side of tech where we can save money and actually use Moore's Law for what it was studied and designed for? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, I guess, so your question, just to summarize your question, it's, uh, you know, there there's the camp of like the crunchy hippie, world where you're just trying to get back to nature because we know that worked sometimes which at i least i'm in that camp sometimes yeah, or at sure. least that's uh and yeah m- myself as well yeah. and then there's the technology always works camp and i think uh and you know we we've seen a lot of examples of technology working as well so i think i think it's like both both are true in a way um i mean i've spent most of my career in entrepreneurship but i've spent maybe a total of like five years in academia or something at technion and then at mit and if you actually see how the sausage is made, and of course also at companies, so te- technology is, I think a lot of the transhumanists and futurists don't, they're not that close to the actual interior of the technology world. I mean, some of them are, and they're just like believers, right? So, but at Ray Kurzweil or whatever, but a lot of them don't, they, you know, they kind of see the polished outside. So for example, like a paper comes out in nature, like, oh, taurine extends lifespan of whatever, right? Yes. And then that's like, as though that's true, you know, but in reality, like the people that wrote the paper themselves, if you ask them, do you take taurine? Half of them are going to say, yeah, I'm not really, I'm not sure, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it's, it's, uh, you know, because they, it's very hard to find like a real, I mean, unless you're doing math, right? It's very hard, especially in like biology and all these things. It's very hard to find like a really deep truth and it takes time for it to be really figured out. Like, Ooh. you know, when plastics first came out, people were in love with them, right? They were like, you could, it was like, you could get expensive plastic furniture and stuff like that. And eventually, I mean, all, you know, people realized, okay, actually wood is, I mean, we're sitting at this wood table, right? It's just much nicer than a plastic table, right? So I think people fall in love with technology, but it's, you know, over time it kind of, you know, it falls out. So some technology turns out to be amazing. Some of it turns out to be actually really harmful. Uh, so so it, it just depends, I think, in many ways, I mean, at least when it comes to health, it's uh, we didn't evolve with a lot of this stuff. So the assumption should be typically that it's dangerous, I think, uh, because it's, you know, human body is a very complex system. It's resilient, but it's super complex. And, yes. you know, if you're throwing really big changes at it, it's uh, I think if you if you want to be conservative, like I would feel much safer living in a tent on a farm than I would be in like a complete pod, like built fully out of some technological, like perfect world transhumanist thing that's supposed to make me happy, right? I just think the chance of that working from the first try are very low. Like I wanna live in the generation 10 pod, right? Like once they've had 10 generations of people yes. living in them and they've really tweaked like the right pheromones to, you know, no, fuck that. I, I want to live on the farm too. Yeah. I want to <laughs> yeah, live yeah. on a ranch. But, but I think you. it's, it's uh, obviously, you know, there are lots of technologies that work amazing. And if you really need to solve a problem, you frequently have to use technology, right? Because sometimes those problems are created by technology and, you know, you can't yeah. fix them naturally because they're really serious. And in fact, you know, obviously in nature, things go wrong all the time also. So it's just, a, I think it's just about being data driven and conservative is really the way to go and just open and but also open minded right so it's not yeah. like having a religion that one thing works or not uh but i mean i'll tell you just an anecdote so a friend that i went to school with i recently went to his wedding and he's become a farmer so he's a uh i think they call it biodynamic farming so he's a bio that's that's like a new kind of word in the farming and he has a master's degree in this and everything so he's very serious 
and uh, he's just incredibly healthy. Uh, like, I don't think I really have a healthier friend than this guy. And, you know, his biohack is basically farming. Uh, <laughs> so he's he's just farming. He <laughs> makes his own food, you know, like he's drinking uh, like milk straight from his own cows and everything like that. So I think it's uh, you can definitely find really good examples of this. And you can find people that are super like, you know, they're taking lots of supplements. They're incredibly data driven. They're doing tons of blood tests. And those people can be very healthy, too. So I think it's really just about actually there are many things that work. You should just be trying to optimize for actually, you know, getting the benefit from it. It's amazing. Uh, we live in an amazing time, man. 2023, okay. 2024, like we are so blessed yet. Also, like you said, sometimes tech can be the source of the problem itself. Like people that spend 12, 14 hours on screens all day. Yeah. We are guinea pigs for that. I mean, that's only been around for a handful of decades. So we're, we're kind of figuring it out as we go along. I look at all the deleterious things that happen because of tech. And then I look at a company and a man like you, where it's like, you're answering the call from some heart-based position. You Maybe you've never been asked a question like this, and I'm cool with that. What is the heart behind what you're doing? What is the spirituality behind what you're doing? Because it's one thing to be a successful entrepreneur and solve a problem by, you know, people go on Google and they search problems and then that gets fed into a business engine. And then, yep. you know, somebody in Silicon Valley is like, oh, there's a white space. Let's create a product for that. Yeah, and let's yeah. make a bunch of money. That's great. But that doesn't really solve the underpinnings of why the problem exists in the first place. So what's the heart? What's the soul for you behind SciFox? Well, I think, you know, there are different kinds of ambitious people, but I, I think, you know, probably the right, you know, all entrepreneurs are very ambitious, right? So it's like, why are they doing what they're doing? People that I like better are the ones that really want to see something happen in the world. So it's not about, you know, really accumulating something or whatever or power, but you want to see, like, make a change in the world that you're excited about, right? So just see yeah. things improve. Yeah. Uh, and for a lot of people that are, you know, at heart, like scientists and engineers, it's really hard to find a situation like that. Like you can find a place where you have all the resources, right? So you can get into like Google X, right? So you can work at some research lab, but nothing you make gets commercialized. It's very typical. I mean, sometimes they do, but it's very typical to work on something for a long time. And then they kind of say, eh, you know, uh, and it's, it's, that's, and maybe you don't even make anything that great because the environment is not sufficiently constrained where you're really focused, right? You're incredibly focused on solving a problem. Um, and there have been incredible successes from, you know, big companies and labs like that. But in general, as an engineer or scientist, it's a big struggle to find a situation where you're actually connected to the wheels. Like if you think about a car, right, where the clutch is actually connected to the to the drive shaft and you can move the you can move the car forward. Yeah. A lot of times you're just running the engine, you're doing lots of work and it's kind of impressive or whatever. People are publishing papers, they're, you know, getting promoted at Google or wherever it is. Uh, but then nothing happens in the world. Right. So I, I think a lot of the motivation, and it's not just me, but I think a lot of the people we hire at SciFox, one of the things that they're excited about is that we're really focused on, okay, we're actually going to make this. We're going to benefit real people. We're going to take whatever trade-offs we have to, to get to market and actually have this used. Right. And there are lots of companies you can look at, like, uh, there was a company that made this headset. I'm trying to think of what it's called. It was really, really, uh, they raised like a billion dollars, Magic Leap. Right. So where's the Magic Leap? You know, I mean, they it, so they probably tried to make something amazing. Right. So very technologically advanced, but they never just made anything. Right. So there's no I mean, now maybe they're going to launch something. I don't remember. I think they're still around. Why did they fail? But, why, do you, why do you think companies with that kind of inclination <sighs> fail? I mean, I think what happens a lot is is people that are really good at raising money are not good at getting focused and actually delivering. So you'll see uh, very often the scrappy companies that 
are not that great at raising money. They have tr they struggle with it. And YC actually, so we did Y Combinator with Cyfox. They talk about this all the time. The companies in the batch that raise the most money frequently are not the ones that end up doing the best. I mean, of course, a lot of them do well, but it's uh, it's because Ooh. if you're too good at raising money, so like Magic Leap raised a ton of money, sometimes you're not that great at executing or you're not even passionate about it, right? You're just passionate about like blowing the blowing the balloon up, money. right? Yeah. Exactly. So it's very hard to like have all those, you know, be an A player at that and an A player at actually delivering and so on. Uh, so I think, um, you know, in our case, it, we're just good enough at that to survive. You know, we're doing okay, but we really where I think the company is special and it's not just myself, but really everybody, uh, pretty much everybody that we've hired is that uh, it's people that really want to see what they make, like get out in the world and benefit a lot of people, get used, you know, all that kind of thing. So I think that's what drives me and, and everybody else at the company pretty much. It's powerful because if people knew, like, let's say these top 17, and I want to learn from you why you guys chose the 17, because mm -hmm, they're very mm -hmm. specific um, out of so many for there's hundreds and hundreds yeah, of biomarkers. Yeah. Why the 17? There's so many people that just literally don't understand. Like when I was spending time on family vacation in Tennessee, I was just just noticing how people interact with e with each other and just what they were eating and how they were spending their time. And it really it didn't shock me, but it did make me sad because really, if they knew what they didn't know, in other words, if they could start to move through the ladder of awareness from unconscious incompetence to mm -hmm. at least knowing that they're incompetent, conscious incompetence, then maybe they would understand. It's not a diss on people. Yeah, we, yeah. We're all that way in some way. I'm that way in certain categories, for sure. We all have blind spots. But but I wonder for for if you could wave a magic wand with Cyfox, and if you could put this in every single home, mm -hmm. and if it could be something where you would then educate people, hey, these are the most important things that'll make you yeah. spend time longer with your kids, that'll make you feel better in your body and mm -hmm. that'll give you a higher quality of life. Like that's the juice. That's the magic. That's why we're here. Otherwise, what are we doing? We're kind of fucking wasting time. What do you feel about that? That picture I painted from Tennessee and just the state of our union when it comes to education around what biomarkers even are. So there are different ways to design a product, right? So then there are, there are many of them are valid, right? So there are many valid ways to make like a amazing product. Uh, I don't have any background in product developments. You know, I've done a couple of startups, so just some like personal experience, but I never studied it, nothing like that. So when we worked on it, myself and my co-founder really, uh, you know, gave birth to this and, and figured out like, what will the first iteration look like? Uh, and a few other people on the team, but we spent a lot of time just pricking our fingers and taking blood tests. So that's the first thing. So we basically went through and, and many other things. So we tried all uh, like all kinds of subscriptions, everything for a long time, because we were, uh, for the first two years of the company, we were just developing hardware. Uh, we really launched this in the third year of the company. So those two years, I spent you know 10% of my time just trying different things, talking to tons of doctors, researchers, wh whatever, right? And kind of what I found is that there's different crowds in the health space, like the direct-to-consumer health space, and I would split them up like this. There's like the, tw the 23 and Me crowd. So it's basically, I'm going to test you for something you know, maybe it's not that serious. It's kind of a joke. Like you get to see if you're like, you know, 10% German, like whatever. Right. So nobody's taken, very few people have taken a 23 and me test and then become, you know, increase their lifespan by 10 years by sure. like whatever. It's right? kind of just novel. It's, it's novel. And genetics, it's just very hard to use only genetic because most, most, I mean, the genetics affect you, but really most of the things happen later. Right. So that's why blood tests are are more valuable. And then there are other, like, because 23andMe was so successful, there are other companies that do stuff like that. I think one really good example is probably the most successful at-home test. You know, we studied all of this, right? And the most successful test is actually the food sensitivity test, uh, which was 
basically a, oh. a woman from uh, Harvard Business School. And look, maybe I don't have this story correct. This is just my opinion. Okay, so so you have to take it with a grain of salt. But essentially, a woman from Harvard Business School. Uh, I think she's actually from Texas, and she um, she realized that people were searching. You know, I don't feel great after eating. Right. So this is started with a Google search, kind of like what you're saying. This yeah. is more of a Silicon Valley approach. And so they developed this test where they test for what are called IgG antibodies, uh, which was this test was around. They just repackaged it and kind of started selling it direct to consumer uh, IgG antibodies against food. The problem is there are four types of IgG antibodies and it's very expensive to test all four or whatever the reason is that they they didn't end up doing that. So they test total IgG, which is like a very general number and it can be caught, you know, there's a lot of things that affect it. And so basically they could never really get doctors buy-in that like if you have a high IgG level for eggs or something, your body responds to eggs and that means you can't eat eggs. So what really happens is there's some chance that that is actually related to a food sensitivity and it's very poorly understood. Like we actually were working on allergy testing for a while. So I know very well that at Johns Hopkins, there's a professor who's really an expert in this. And I kind of went through this and understood that it's basically an entertainment test. So you take this test and let's say it tells you like you have a high level for eggs. So then you stop eating eggs. But what's interesting is it does benefit people. And the reason is that for some percentage of people, when they stop eating eggs, they actually feel better. So they've discovered something. So it's like because elimination diets just work, right? You don't even need this test to do that, right? So it's kind of funny. But uh, so that's probably the most successful test. And the reason is probably that in America, food is so bad that if you just have any excuse to stop eating a certain food, you might, be, yeah, you might benefit from it, right? Yeah. So you find out, oh, I, I have a wheat sensitivity, you know, and then you, you stop eating and it turns out whatever the iron, you know, that they're putting into wheat, the enriched iron or whatever is like, you have really high iron in reality. And that's why you feel bad when you eat wheat or whatever it is, right? Mm. So anyway, this is just not medical advice, but this is basically, so that's what was out there. This is a very long answer to how did we come up with the markers? So what we did in the end is we said, okay, what's the biggest risk that you really want to avoid that the medical system is terrible at is chronic disease, right? So, I mean, there are other things you might want to optimize and so on. And there are many companies like focusing on different areas, right? So we, we really wanted to start with chronic disease uh, and things because also chronic disease is something you really want to make a lot of measurements over time. Like where are you trending? Um, and if you look at the, you know, 60% of Americans have a chronic disease. If you look at which markers or like which systems in your body are associated with that, it's inflammatory system, uh, which is also really associated overall with longevity. So a lot of longevity people will talk about inflammation because yeah. it's thought of as like a big cause of aging in general. This is like the C-reactive um, protein or do you use something else? Yeah, so there, there are a lot of inflammation markers. What's interesting is that they're all interconnected. So for example, you can measure what are called cytokines, which is like a more real-time inflammation measure mm. uh, and deeper. And sometimes they do that for people with like IBD and, and uh, rheumatoid arthritis and stuff like that. But those will cause your body to produce H, uh, CRP, C-reactive protein. So that C-reactive protein is like the gold standard measure. Yeah. And then there are a bunch of other things you can measure. And we measure more than one thing, but C-reactive protein is a major one. And that one is correlated directly with lifespan. So there are big studies where the higher your CRP is, you know, it just decreases your lifespan. And there are many reasons it can be high, right? So it's not like a single one-shot thing. So it can be due to various inflammatory processes. But we measure several inflammation markers for, uh, to get the person started on the journey of getting that down. Is the CRP downstream or upstream when you look at cytokines? It's downstream. It's downstream. It is so downstream. CRP is actually supposed to go out. What it's made for, I mean, it has maybe multiple uses, but one of the uses is to fight bacterial infections. So sometimes if you have like auto, autoimmune or other issues, 
or sometimes people actually have a persistent bacterial infection they're not aware of. Mm. So if you measure your CRP and it's just persistently high, sometimes it's like, I mean, this is funny, but I've actually talked to people who have had this. Yeah. Uh, they fix some issue with like a tooth and it just drops. So they have this permanent like tooth infection for years and years and years, and they only find out because they start measuring CRP. Uh, but basically, it's so wild. Yeah, yeah it's, it's very interesting. Uh, but basically CRP, the average American has a CRP of 2.5. Uh, healthy CRP is like 0.5. So they're way, way out and doctors will only talk to you about your CRP above three or like maybe approaching 10. So they're kind of like, look, until you're 10, I don't even, you know, whatever. It's not medical. You're just fat or whatever. Like we don't care, right? You're just a typical unhealthy American. Um, but it's something that really uh, correlates with diet. It correlates with uh, getting exposed. So for sometimes it's allergens. I mean, it's, it's very, it's a broad thing. So it can't tell you exactly like this is what you need to do. But there are basic things you can do to try to fix it. And we give like the typical recommendations, but then also like people just have to, it's their health journey. Like they have to figure out, uh, try different things and figure it out. And there are more tests you can take to try to. It's a, it's a it huge yeah. magnifying glass though. Like CRP from all the different, I mean, 600 interviews, this mm -hmm. conversation of CRP has come up probably yeah, over a yeah, hundred yeah. times. Yeah, right? it's a big one. It's a big it's, one. It's like the biggest magnifying glass yeah. that you said in the portion of the stream where we can then take a look at why it's getting fed like that in the first mm -hmm, place. Like, mm -hmm. is it toxicity? Is it mold? Yeah, Here yeah. in Austin, mold is fucking everywhere. And yeah. I don't know how it is in Boston or in just the entire yeah. state of Massachusetts, these wet climates and just what mold can do to people's mm -hmm. bodies and, and raise their inflammation. It's wild that you said that you knew someone or you had heard of someone that had a Listen, tooth I know, issue. I know more than one, two people that had this. And, yeah. and, and so if they can catch that early, like think about this, if somebody can catch their CRP and we'll go over the other biomarkers that are in the Cyfox test, but this is why this is so freaking empowering mm -hmm. is because somebody can actually check in on how they're doing every three to six months instead of waiting 20 years yeah. to go to a doctor when they are above a 10 CRP. And by that time, they're going to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars, if not more, to fix what could have been fixed two yeah. decades ago. Yeah. Um, and it's... Uh if you look at the studies, like it's, it's really forget the studies just in our own data. You know, we have thousands and thousands of people worth of data. If we take this broad test, so we see how's the person's hormonal system, how are they doing metabolically, whatever people with high CRP typically are not doing well in other areas because inflammation just affects everything. And maybe the root cause is affecting multiple things. It's yeah. like, so that that's one, that's a very big one. That was actually the first one that we started with. We considered launching a CRP only test. Uh, and then we said, no, we'll do a very broad panel because uh, it's better to make it slightly more expensive, but just give people as much information as possible. And, and I think we were, it turned out we were completely right because we actually found a lot of things that we weren't even aware of uh, when we launched the product. So like a very good example is we started getting occasionally people with a ferritin. Ferritin is the protein that carries iron in your blood. Uh, actually, you're not supposed to have that much of it in your blood. It's mostly in your cells. So if it's very high, like it's, if it's elevated, it's usually inflammatory because your cells are breaking up and releasing this ferritin into your blood. But we've started seeing people with super high ferritin, like 10 times normal. Uh, and it turns out that there is a semi-genetic condition. Uh, I always mispronounce it, but it's like hemochromatosis, I think, which basically takes like 10 or 15 years off your life that people don't catch until they're really sick. Uh, and you can catch it just by measuring this, this one protein, which yeah. is a relatively common. Again, these are not like magic in the corner biomarkers studied in some lab like some these are ferritin is like gold standard normal typically it's low uh for in anemia so they'll measure it like in pregnant women because sometimes pregnant women get anemia 
but yeah, you have these kind of unicorns that have super high ferritin. And for them, you know, they take this test. It's whatever. I mean, it's not very cheap. It's whatever, $100, right? So it's not free. But I mean, they take this test and they've now gotten their ferritin down. So they go and it's actually pretty easy to treat. I think mostly what they do is just have them give blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've heard that too. A couple yeah, times yeah, a year, yeah. just give blood and everything gets recycled. Yeah, there, there's one guy who actually wrote this whole long post on LinkedIn about how we basically you know, helped him put, get a decade of extra healthy life, right? So he was feeling terrible. He had gone through a bunch of like, he had had a couple of surgeries from like dirt biking or something and nobody had ever like getting hurt dirt biking. Nobody just ever measured his ferritin. Like even when he had, he was complaining of like different symptoms that are associated with this. He just never got it measured. Huh. And then of course he didn't buy our test looking for that. He just bought it like, ah, I don't feel that great, right? Uh, and we weren't even, to be honest, just completely honest, we're technologists, right? We do blood tests. We covered a lot of the major chronic diseases. We weren't even aware of this one. Uh, you know, like when in all of our interviews with, you know, advisors, doctors, whatever, nobody even brought this up. Uh, and it turns out to be a relative, I mean, it's, it's somewhat rare, but it's a, it's common enough that we're finding people like this. Uh, and then you have a bunch of other things of that flavor, right? So all these like relatively rare conditions, they add up, right? And that's why it's nice to do a broad panel uh, because you can, I mean, another simple one that, People don't look at that much is trig HDL. Uh, and so and you can get you get trig HDL from your doctor as well. So if you do like a yearly, uh, they just don't I don't think they usually actually show you the ratio. So you can take trig out and, you know, divide it by HDL. But and by tri- trig, you mean triglycerides? Triglycerides. Yeah. yeah. Triglycerides, HDL, uh, very predictive of metabolic health. And we see that, you know, if you look at the whole data set, we really see that tr- trig HDL is very predictive even when we just look at the person's BMI, right? Like, are they are they in normal shape? People with poor BMI are going to have that trig HDL out of range. And yeah. that's something that lots of studies support it. You know, if you just look at your LDL or whatever, uh, it's really trig HDL and a- even HbA1c, your, which is like the standard sugar marker. So it's the average of your last 90 days of sugar. That's how it works. So it's a protein that kind of sugar attaches to it, has a 90-day lifetime. So the amount of this protein that has a sugar on it correlates to how much sugar is in your blood over the last 90 days. Wow. Uh, and that that's a really good one. That's a standard one. It gets measured every year. So if you huh. look at your if you look at your yearly blood test, if you're getting one, it's on there. Typically, they won't really talk to you about it until you're very close to diabetic. Right. So it's like going up, going up, going up. Nobody says anything. And it's like, oh, actually, you're getting diabetes. Right. But uh, anyway, that's a later marker. So you can still have like pretty good glucose control, but already be very metabolically you know, out of whack. And trig HDL as well as fasting insulin are going to be much earlier uh, and sometimes more accurate also. Um, so it's having this kind of like broad panel allows you to look at these things. And sometimes one of them is fine, but another one is not. Uh, because, again, people are all different. It also depends on other things in your diet and lifestyle. And even the day you take the test, right? So there's variability. Sure. If you're taking 10 tests in a decade, that variability of like, for example, testosterone and cortisol, those rise, if you have a normal circadian rhythm, those are going to rise every morning. So when you go into the doctor and you get your test, even just the variability, like if you're not able to take the test at a precise time every time. Or if you didn't get sleep or if your kid was keeping you exactly. up. I've been in that world. Exactly. So if you have, a, if you can control when you take the test, if you say, okay, I'm always going to take the test one hour after waking, and I'm going to take it on days where I've had like a normal day, normal sleep, 
that data is going to be much more accurate because otherwise you're just measuring noise, right? You're measuring like how long did it take the phlebotomist to get to you, right? Totally. So like an hour later or whatever it is, you know, you wait in line and then the number is different. And what do you do with that information, right? That's a big one. It's a big yeah. one because if we can do a check-in for ourselves three times a year, maybe four times a year, that truly, and I really mean this, like I, from my own life experience, I'm 43. So like I've been in this world uh, since 2002 was my mm. first year as a fitness trainer. So it's been well over 20, almost 25 years. And when I look at the whole gamut of clients I used to work with, my own self, people I coached online, people that have sat in this studio, what comes up every single time is what gets measured gets managed. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. you measure something, I don't care if it's like your business, even your relationships, your physical health. If you have some kind of a window, every successful business owner in the world, this is why I don't understand. This is why I'm so stoked on our podcast. I cannot understand why this conversation has not exploded mm. across the entire nation because every single business, I don't care if you're like a mom and pop shop or a multi-billion dollar company, everybody takes inventory. Everybody has a PL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody has some kind of tracking system. If you don't, you're screwed. If you don't have a tracking system, you're screwed. <laughs> so like this conversation is really near and dear to me because I think about um, my father's struggle with health. My grandpa died at 80 of chronic heart, heart failure mm. on both my parental and maternal side. There have been all these conditions that honestly, if they were to just take a look throughout their life, maybe they'd still be with us or definitely they, they'd be with us for longer. Like there's a heartstring here for me and there should be a heartstring here for all of us yeah, yeah. that if we're actually taking an honest look at how we're showing up in our biomarkers, then our lives can be extended by 10, 20, even 30 years. You mentioned the ferritin. Is there anything else that you've had come across your desk of like clients or research or things that you just looked at and you're like, holy shit, this person yeah. just added so much time on their life because this one biomarker showed us they have to take this easy step to basically treat themselves, heal themselves. So I think it's a mix. Like uh, we don't we don't collect as much data as some other companies around about our clients. So we don't always know like what they're doing on the other end, like how significant the results are for them or whatever. Uh, we do see people improve, uh, and so obviously they're they're taking taking control of these things. Um, I mean, one anecdote that I hear all the time is that people discover that they have low testosterone. And this is a big meme, right? That people have low testosterone yes. in the modern day. Uh, it's poorly understood. You know, as a chemist, I'm biased that it's probably the plastics, if I had to guess, right? It's probably plastics and other endocrine disruptors. Like the phytochemicals that are inside of plastic. and Yeah. So basically, when you make plastic, it's... Uh, plastic is kind of crystalline. So if you take a uh, plastic bottle and you drop it, it'll just crack. So they add something called a plasticizer. It's like small molecules that break up the crystal structure so that uh, the plastic is more like a glass. And so it, it's more tough. So it, it can stretch and things like that. It can move past itself uh, at like the molecular level. And so those small molecules, they leach out. So if you like put a water ball in the sun, it leaches these molecules into the water. And there are a million of these things going out, you know, from all angles, right? Because the whole world is built up out of- Tell us more about plastic. the plastic. That's a really, <laughs> please tell us more um, about the plastic. Cause people read about this and like, eh, it's fine. I can drink this water. No, that's no. the temperature of the sun. that has been sitting in my car for three days on the dashboard. It, you know, oddly- No, so, you can't. So the, the thing that surprises me is that these plastics, this is something I don't understand. I don't have enough of a background in this, but why there hasn't been- just more research around safe plasticizers. It, it, this is like, I, you know, I studied polymer chemistry. I don't understand why 
everybody knows is going on. So, you know, BPA, right? So there's like BPA free, but what they replaced BPA with is not really safe as far as I know. So they haven't really done like, you know, they should do the serious studies and make sure that these plasticizers don't actually bind to any receptors in your body, right? And this hasn't been done. I don't know why. It seems like an obvious opportunity to me, right? Like somebody should probably have a startup just like I make plastic that doesn't, uh, you know, if you put a frog in the water, I mean, this is the joke, right? They're yeah. t- turning the frog's gay joke, but it's it's true. Like if you put a frog in the water with some of these chemicals, it, it changes the frog's sex and things like they're just mimicking hormones. Let's right? talk about that because so, right now on the screen and in the show notes, there's going to be two reports. One of them was from Jade Tita, a guest on the show. Another one, whether you like him or not, I'm neither for nor against him. It's Alex Jones. And he had someone on his show and they broke down the science of yeah. how these chemicals leach into the water and turn frogs gay. I think they, they actually, that's like Alex Jones just being funny, but I think they, uh, no, there's some real they science make them like hermaph- They make the frogs hermaphrodites. They grow like both, uh, but the thing, okay. Frogs drink through their skin. So they're especially susceptible to this. Like well, so do we, water, I mean, the epidermis is the largest it, organ. Yeah, of the body. It's not quite as bad for people, but, but the point is I'm a big believer in, I'm pretty sure like there are probably other factors. So there's like blue light, right? So, you know, you produce all your testosterone at night, Again, this is things I've heard. I'm not an expert in this, yeah. but I they, they've read some papers about it. I mean, it seems, seems real. So you produce your testosterone at night, and if you're getting poor sleep, which is disrupted by blue light, you know, you're not going to produce as much and so on. So I think that's all probably also contributing. So there are a lot of things going on. But I think the plastics is just a low-hanging fruit. Like, we know that these plasticizers are in the plastics. Ooh. And they're also in things like uh, all types of fragrances and so on. I mean, there are, there are better people to talk about this. I don't know everything No, about I think it, you're great. We've all, we've all been in a grocery store. We've all walked down a freezer aisle. Every single one of those like hungry man dinners, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. all leaching that into the food 100%. as it gets cooked in the microwave. And, and I think this is very much driven by the market. Like if people rejected this food and they said, look, I really want to be served in a porcelain, you know, whatever, like make this safe, right? If people were only willing to buy safe food, like on average or more or only, you know, actually preferring it in the grocery store, you would certainly see comp- like companies are, it's capitalism, like they're responsive, right? So it, right now, nobody cares, and that's why it's like this. They don't care because they don't um, know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. A lot, yeah. a lot of it is a lot of it is just uh, a lack of this this being discussed. But I think, I mean, many things are just banned in Europe. I mean, this is interesting. Just I, again, this has been discussed a million times by other people, but Europe has banned many, many chemicals that are r- used routinely in America. Maybe some of them they're banning incorrectly. Like some of them might be fine, but many of them are really well studied. It's clear that it, they're not good for you. I mean, I think in some ways America is a, you know, the quality of life in America suffers from all this stuff. The nice thing about America is that it's like a freedom storage battery, right? You People are really free here. You know, they're free to drink out of plastic. They're free to start SpaceX. You know, it's, it's like a range, right? You're kind of like free to both hurt yourself and do something exciting. But certainly we could probably fix the drink, you know, fix the plasticizers thing. I don't see why it has to be that way. Um, so I don't think it's like a political issue, probably everybody should just agree that we need to ban these things. Um, or at least consumers just need to reject them. Right. Yeah. Um, but of course it's a lot of overhead, right? You have to start looking, Oh, how do I sure. avoid this, you know, and everything, but it, it's just, that's how it is. Um, and it's something that, you know, my parents, so my parents are from the Soviet union and when they came to America, they were super paranoid about this stuff because they hadn't been using all the single use stuff. 
Uh, they hadn't seen all these like weird colors in the food. You know, like wh- what is this red food? You know, like what, how are they even doing this? Right. <laughs> so my, my parents who were both, both scientists, like my mother, especially as a biologist was incredibly paranoid about all, all this stuff. And I'm very thankful for that because I must've avoided at least some of it, at least in the home, right? Because, because of that. Uh, and I think a lot of people, if they don't have that background, they're just like, yeah, this is normal, right? Let's, you know, I microwave the plastic and then I eat out of it, right? Yeah. This is great. It's super convenient, whatever. So I think it's, uh, anyway, how does this tie into the blood tests? A lot of people we see have, uh, you know, hormonal issues, right? So either they have low testosterone or it's other things. I mean, there's a range of things that we measure. Uh, so there's also, for example, we measure TSH, which is, uh, it's called thyroid stimulating hormone. And that's your brain is producing a hormone that stimulates your thyroid to make thyroxin, uh, which is the thyroid hormone regulates your metabolism. And if you have very high TSH or elevated TSH, it means that your thyroid's not really working well. And so your brain's producing more of that saying like, come on, you know, we need to, it's a control system. So it's, it's kind of like we, kicking it in the butt. Yeah, exactly. It's saying we need yeah. more of this, right? And it's the same thing with insulin. Like your body can't handle sugar. So, cause the cells are not insulin sensitive. So you start making more insulin, right? To try to compensate for that. So it's these control systems going out of whack. And uh, we measure TSH and we find people with high, with elevated TSH. And really the way you discover that normally is you have a bunch of issues. And then finally the doctor says like, okay, let's measure your thyroid levels because we can't, you know, we're finally at the, at the end of the rope. Like Ooh. I believe you, you don't feel well. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then you find out, okay, my thyroid's not functioning. And then there are a bunch of reasons it might be and so on, but at least having that knowledge, whether it's okay, everything's fine. So I don't need to worry about this. You know, I don't need to buy supplements for the thyroid or whatever it is. It's working right. Versus just having no idea. Right. Uh, so th- that's, that's another one that we see frequently elevated, but I think with the low testosterone thing, the interesting thing is that, um, that one's very entertaining. So people love that because it's, uh, you know, it's like something, it's not quite, it's not super dangerous. You know, it is bad for you to have, to be out of range on it, but it's not as like serious. It's not cancer or something, right? It's not, uh, it's not as serious as like inflammation or whatever. So it's more entertaining. People like to talk to each other about it. They like to joke about it with their wife or whatever. So I think that that one is a very popular one. And I think there are a lot of companies now that are really focused on like giving people drugs to treat this. Uh, and I actually think that's probably okay, but you really should try all the hacks first. If that's my take. Uh, yeah, if you're doing hormone therapy, it doesn't matter if you're not sleeping, if you're eating total yes. crap, if you're not drinking water, if you're yeah, not doing yeah, yeah. cardio, if you're not lifting weights, exactly. if you have friends that tear you down, if you drink every weekend, if you spend time with negative Nancys that just yeah. try to tear down all your dreams, none of this shit's going to work. You could do hormone therapy till the cows come home. It's not going to matter. Yeah, I, I think it's if you really can't afford to make changes in your life, maybe it makes sense to... I, there, so there's there's the like actual testosterone therapy and then there are the companies that do they'll uh, increase LH, which is the hormone that stimulates uh, testosterone production. So that's probably a little bit safer. Again, not my expertise, but that's what I would do if I was going to do it. Uh, and that works. But it's, uh, I think most people can start by just try the standard stuff. You know, watch the Huberman episode about testosterone or whatever, whatever your preferred guru is about this stuff. Uh, it works. You know, if you do squats, I've done this, I've measured this on myself because I mean, I'm taking blood tests all the time, right? Because you have to, it's called dog fooding, right? There's like a famous guy who, uh, yes, you got to eat your own dog food. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. You eat your own dog food. There's actually, I don't know if, I don't know if you know this, but there was a guy who sold dog food who was known for like eating it on, in a TV commercial or oh, something. Oh, that's totally it's disgusting. Actually, yeah. It's, it's based on an actual person. <laughs> oh my but God. Anyway, so I'm dog fooding all the time. I take tests all the time and yeah. like my co-founder as well. And a few other people in the company Me too, man. My whole are, studio is full of dog food, all yeah, these supplements yeah. and tests and exactly. machines. And, uh, so basically in my own data, 
I can definitely see that the hacks that people talk about actually work, right? So do you want to implement them, whatever? But I mean, yes, if you do if you do full body exercise like squats, you're going to see your testosterone go up. If everything is working, like if that's not working, then you need to go and debug it. So there are people yeah. with real medical conditions and everything else. But I think for the majority of people, especially if you're like under 50, you know, it's just, you're just, uh, maybe you could, like if you were in Europe, you could just live the way you're living and you'd have higher testosterone or whatever, but yeah. you're in America, right? So you have to deal with this environment and that might mean like putting extra work into being healthy, right? So that, that's, and I think it's probably more sustainable just to get serious about it and uh, exercise more, sleep more. I think most people are not going to be, you know, extremely fit, but just doing like the basic stuff that works. It also makes you happier, right? Yes. So it's the way I see it is it helps to do the blood test for me, certainly, because then you know what's what to work on, right? So you can see, ah, okay, this is actually fine. Like my cortisol is is correct. Like it's going up in the morning, it's going down at night. So this is not an issue, right? I don't need to worry about this. But okay, I you know, my testosterone is lower than where I it should be. So let's do squats, right? And that and that improves it. And so that's because you can't do everything, right? So that re it really helps you hone in on what you want to work on, right? Because you have finite time and resources. Yes. So I think from that perspective, it's it's been helpful for me even uh, and and for a lot of our users. That's why people come to us is frequently. I mean, I, I'd say the two big things is people come to us because they're just, you know, not feeling that great or they're just worried. They want to know, right? So that's one reason. And the other reason is because they have a certain amount of time they want to spend on their health and they want to know, like, where is the big impact going to be? Right. So th those are probably the two kind of like personas that, that are most common. You know, it's crazy, Mike. I did a NLP. I've never told this story in a podcast. So this is why I love what we do. It's like real conversation. It, it sparks a lot of memories that I don't think people have remembered for a long time. When you start having real dialogue with somebody and people hear that, it kind of sticks to their soul in a way. Mm -hmm. It's like, how do we know we can trust someone? It's not just the micro muscles in their face. It's it's the pitch in their voice. It's the way that they tell stories like for, for me, I was in this NLP training and we did this thing called a values ladder. And the number one value for me was abundance. And they were like, okay, abundance in what? And we went down the line and I realized it was abundance in health because mm. I used to be 280 pounds. I've struggled oh, wow. a lot with health in my life. And so they said, great. You know, my coach was working with me and he was like, all right, so how do you know that you're going to have perfect health? And immediately my unconscious mind was like, well, I, all my biomarkers would be in range. And this is at an emotional intelligence, neuro-linguistic programming uh, training that I was in. And here I am, my unconscious is feeding me information that as long as my biomarkers are in check and I'm consistently checking my biomarkers over time, then there's literally no way I can't lead a healthy life. This is the whole mission of our company, right? How do we live our life well? How do I deliver on that promise of what does it even mean to live your life well? I think unless we have a window into that, Mike, it's impossible to know how we're actually showing up. We can imagine things. We can be anecdotal about how we think our health is, but the numbers don't lie. The yeah. numbers do not lie. And so I'm curious, like with these numbers, how do you yourself use this? Like what's something that you're working on right now in your own personal mm -hmm. health or maybe your own emotional health or mental health? Being a CEO is not easy, man. There's a lot of people that need a lot of answers all the time. And you, you know, you carry a, a weight in your shoulders, right? So what, one of the one of the hacks is that I'm not the CEO. I'm actually the chief product officer. Uh, I was the CEO of my last company and I found this experience that yes. you're talking about. And I am definitely in this go around my, um, I, you know, have to thank my co-founder that he's taken that on because that is the, is definitely the worst job. What's his name? <laughs> it's the worst job in the company, Diedrich. Diedrich, uh, he, shout out to Diedrich. He's a- Strong um, back. Diedrich is a now American, but he he grew up in Belgium. So he's been here for about 10 years. 
Uh, and we have him to thank for, you know, the speed of the internet. So amazing. Yeah. Most people, Belgium has a very high quality of life. Uh, like, you know, it's one of these small European countries, you know, all your neighbors, this kind of thing. Uh, great beer. It's all, it's known for amazing beer. So most people will not live in America. Like there, you don't find a lot of Belgians here because they always end up going back. But Diedrich is so, uh, you know, he, he's like, a Elon Musk type personality where he's really just, he will eat glass to, to do what he wants, you know, to make something happen. And so yeah. he's one of the only Belgians I've met who has not returned to Belgium in the time that I've known them, you know, cause he's just America's the place, right? Cause that, this is where you can really, uh, do something, do, mm. do something effective, right? Like it's very hard to build something, uh, like really significant in Europe. Right. In terms of the blood testing, uh, what's most important for me, I mean, it just depends on your, I think for each American, probably there's some way in which living here has ruined your health. And so you have to find that way and focus on it. So for me, it's definitely metabolic health. Uh, and like my big goal is to, just to get to a trig HDL of one. So my trig HDL is probably two something or whatever it is. And I think that'll probably be the health. You know, if I get to that point, that'll be the peak of health for my entire life. Right. Like Ooh. I probably have never been that healthy. Uh, and I, you know, played football in high school and everything. So I've had like periods where I was more fit. But I think in terms of like real longevity and health, that's that's really that's really the issue I need to work on. Uh, and I've had some luck with it over the time. So we we launched this product about a year ago for six months before that we were testing it in-house. So we had, you know, 40, 50 people doing blood tests all the time. Uh, and just through all of that, that's been very helpful for me. I mean, I, I'm, you know, I like to experiment and everything. So I'm probably not even the best example. I wouldn't follow what I'm doing, but I've tried a million different weird diets to see how it affects, you know, how it affects me. I've tried carnivore potato. So I've tried all potato. Have you ever done the all potato the potato diet? diet yeah. Yes. That's where <laughs> Cresser talks about this, the resistant starch where when you heat up the potato and you cool it down, yeah. you get less of a glucose spike. Did you try that? Yeah. 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 And I work in glu continuous glucose monitor while doing it. So I yeah. have, I have all that data. It's very interesting. Uh, probably, I mean the best I've ever, I felt is probably on the carnivore diet, but the potato diet is very solid. You feel great. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's very surprising that, uh, you know, you would imagine you feel pretty bad just eating potatoes, but it's, it turns out no. Um, but, uh, so I've done a bunch of experiments on myself, but it, it's a journey, right? Because I have so many other priorities. Yeah. So I think if I could do nothing else, right. And just focus on getting these markers, right. And getting fit. Uh, I think I see the path to doing that. Right. So now it's just a matter of time management. Like how much can I optimize to spend time on this and, and energy and thought, but that's the main one that I, that I think is important for me at this stage in my life. Yeah. Uh, a big thing is that I'm, that's much more long-term is that, uh, so I got a, my, my genome sequence. So I did like a full genome sequence. And one thing they found is, uh, so there's this gene that in women increases their chance of breast cancer. It's called BRCA. So I have one of those genes, which doesn't really matter for men as much, but it increases your chances of prostate cancer. So one thing I'm doing now is I've started measuring, this is, this kit doesn't do this out of the box, but there's a expansion that we do called the hormone plus, which has more hormones than it also has a PSA. Uh, so this is a prostate specific antigen, which goes up if you get prostate cancer. So I have a four X risk of prostate cancer versus a normal person and your average person. Uh, and most men get prostate cancer eventually. So it's, it means, you know, I have only this much time left with my prostate, you know, whatever Unless they're conscious of whatever, it. Yeah, yeah. Whatever it is, 30 years or however much, I don't know how long it'll be. But, uh, but anyway, if you track PSA and there's actually somebody in our company who was like, he developed a, a cancer screening blood test at his previous job. And so he's very passionate about PSA specifically because he knows all the data on it and he studied a lot. 
if you track PSA over time, each person's level level is individual. So like from a single measurement, it's very hard to know what's going on unless it's really high. Mm. But if it starts trending up, that's when you know something's going wrong. So you, you really need to track it over time uh, if you want to have that baseline so that you can do like an early detection. Uh, so that's one that I'm st I've started cycling in. And, you know, I you probably only need to measure it, let's say, once every six months or whatever. Uh, but having that trend, that trend line is really important if you want to detect early. Uh, so and that, you, you can get that, you can add that on to the Cyfox test? Yeah, so we, we're t the way we view it is like this panel is the base panel. You should be getting it frequently. And yeah. then we, we have add-ons which basically allow you to look deeper at certain things. So there's a thyroid add-on that we're launching soon. We already have the Hormone Plus add-on. So the Hormone Plus, I have a funny anecdote about the Hormone Plus that I can go into. We have continuous glucose monitors uh, so that you can check in on your, like how do you actually respond to glucose? So let's say you see in your blood work, my metabolism is off. I have a bad, basically a bad score for metabolic health or one of these markers. You can actually see, is it my glucose response that's doing this? How do, which food is it? Whatever. So we do offer that as well as like a tool to figure out deeper. The same with the hormone plus panel, like, okay, my testosterone is low. Is it my LH? Is it something else? So we have some more hormones you can measure to figure out, like, is there an obvious reason? Mm. Um, and that's something that's in general, a goal of the company is to increase the depth. So you're always taking this test, but then there are more things you can do if you want to go deeper and like actually learn about what's going on. And that's how, you know, most engineers will debug a system, right? You do something broad and simple and you kind of see what's going on here. And these are all biomarkers that are really well studied very commonly if there's a problem they're out of range and then we go deeper down you know particular rabbit hole like hormonal thyroid whatever it is the, i think of what happened with theranos and that was big they were even like a huge write-up in time magazine back in the yeah, day yeah. when people used to read physical magazines remember those days where you'd like hold a magazine I, in your hands yeah i used to read i yeah. used to read science for some people still do like that. that and and i think about what went wrong with theranos what do you think went wrong with theranos specifically and then also what do you think goes wrong with standard blood testing now that you guys are here to solve that's a good question so we always get the theranos question of course uh so you know theranos, so every deep tech industry so anything that's very complicated and it's hard to really look inside right you can do five years or so of BSing everybody, right? Uh, especially if you don't launch. So if you never launch anything, you just say, oh, we're going to make a headset that does this, you know, super virtual, whatever, right? Uh, you can always make a nice demo. Uh, there's an interesting example, you know, there are examples of this. I don't want to, you know, shit talk things, but there are examples of this in every difficult industry. So like LiDAR, uh, anything that requires like really serious technology, you'll see these companies that are super hot, and yeah. then later it turns out, eh, it didn't really work out. And nobody really, usually the, the thing that with Theranos is different is that people's health was at risk. And so they got investigated much deeper. The story, you know, was much more popular, but this happens in technology in general. So you'll have somebody that's amazing at selling, you know, they have an amazing vision. They know what people want, right? And they're not afraid to just say, we have what you want, <laughs> right? So Even like, if they don't have it. Yeah. So what Theranos did is uh, they went to doctors and they said, what do you want? And then doctor said, I want a full blood panel from a single drop, right? Or whatever, right? Give me a full blood panel. And that's the problem, by the way, with developing blood tests for doctors. They can always, once you're at the doctor, they can always draw your blood. They can always send it to the standard lab. And so they want everything. They want your blood count. They want mm. chemistry. They want it. So that's one of the reasons we're not looking at the doctor's office because we can only do immunoassays. We really focus on proteins and hormones. So that's the area where we play. And then if you want your blood count or whatever, you know, that's your annual blood test that you're getting anyway. So Theranos asked not people, but doctors, like, what do you guys want? And so the doctor said, okay, we want these hundred things that you normally get when you take many tubes of blood. Right. 
And Theranos basically said, we're going to, you know, we're going to make it happen. But of course they had no plan. Uh, and so it's just one of these cases where somebody's really good at raising money, uh, but they weren't able to, sometimes they make it work, sometimes not, but it's just a hard problem, especially trying to do, it takes three different machines normally to do these tests. So the blood count is a machine, the chemistry is a machine. So chemistry is like, you know, your ions, magnesium chloride, whatever, uh, albumin is done on that, like different, some proteins are done on that as well. And then your immunoassay, which is hormones, HSCRP, whatever. And those are three big machines, like the size of this table, right? So if you're, you know, going to go after this problem, you should pick one to start. So now, since Theranos, there have been companies that have kind of unbundled this. Uh, so, for example, there's a, another YC company that already has gone through the FDA with a blood count, but it's specific. It's like for white blood cells for cancer patients. It's like a narrower thing, uh, but they have one. It's it's actually functional. It's got, it's gotten FDA approval. They sell it. Um, so we're focused on immunoassays, which is proteins and hormones, and that's something that this technology is already FDA cleared for in a larger instrument. So it's very conservative uh, relative to what they were trying to do. Uh, in the end, I think it's, uh, they had the right instinct that this is important, right? But it's just very hard to combine being amazing at fundraising and actually delivering, right? So these, yeah. that's rare. There are people like that, you know, and those are the incredible success stories, right? But, you know, to, uh, often these things are not mixed in one person. Uh, and that's the that's the biggest thing about it. Also, Theranos was very non-transparent. So now everybody that's trying to do blood testing has to be more transparent than a typical company. So we, for example, publish videos of our R&D lab, like tours. We publish blog posts about how the technology works. Uh, you know, we talk in our FAQ. You can read about it just on our website, exactly what we're doing for these tests, how this works is on the About Us page, which this isn't launched yet, but actually you can uh, get on like a waiting list for a study where you get to use the home device um, as part of a, it's, it's not, it's investigational. So it's, it's not for diagnostic purposes, but you can get into a study that will happen next year. Um, so we do a lot of intentional transparency, like at conferences will, you know, more like industry conferences, we actually do demos uh, of the hardware. We'll like show people that it's actually physically there, right? If we're not taking your blood to another room or whatever. Um, and I think that's really important. There are a few companies in the space that are actually trying to do literally what Theranos uh, promised. So like the small amount of blood, they have increased the amount of blood at this point. It's like more like a tube, but in the doctor's office and they'll give you the blood count and everything the doctor wants. So there's like Vital, Genolite, uh, which shares, there's an overlap in the technology that we do in Genolite actually, but they've combined it with a lot of other things. It's very large. And then uh, Truvian. So there are three, three quite legitimate companies that have been funded with a lot of money now going after this. Hmm. And, you know, to, in my opinion, they're probably going to solve it. Like somebody's going to solve that problem of like speeding up the yearly physical blood test. But I don't know what the impact will be on health, on like people's health, because that test is already happening. So we're already doing the yearly physical blood test. What it does is it cuts down the time from when you do the blood test to when the result comes in. So the doctor can like address it maybe a little bit more while you're with them, but you anyway get like four minutes of your doctor's time. So uh, yes, it's going to have some impact, but I think fundamentally we have to get this into people's homes and we have to target it more seriously at chronic disease versus the standard home blood test. That's kind of, be oh, sorry, the standard uh, doctor's office yearly yeah. blood test that's being done now, but that's actually ongoing. So whatever, 10, however long, however many years it's been since Theranos, announced, yeah, we're, we're going to do this. There are companies that are legitimately doing this. They have very serious people on the team. They have real investors. So Theranos never raised money from real VCs. It was like senators and uh, 
you know, uh, generals and stuff like that, who, of course, you know, can't diligence anything like this. Um, so I think the whole space is moving in a better direction. Uh, but it definitely also created a big opportunity for people getting into it, you know, in this decade, right? Yeah. Because last decade, if you were doing anything with blood testing, you had a very hard time once they blew up because everybody just equated you to that company and that was it. So now that's kind of passed and it's opened the, it's opened the doors for a lot of companies. So there are, like I said, there are other companies doing other components of this. Why do you call it, why do you call it Cyfox? What is that? Uh, oh, it's just Silicon Photonics. Uh, so that it's, it's just short for Silicon Photonics, which is the, the core technology for miniaturizing the optics in the blood test. Got it. It made made me think of a Fox for some reason. I was like, Cyfox. Yeah. Yeah. We have little plush foxes that we give, you know, like to interns and, you know, at conferences and stuff like that. The reason I ask you that is because I've always heard this and, you know, back in the day, if you ever, you know, I'm 43, so I don't know, you're in your thirties still. Yep. LL Cool J was one of the most amazing communicators and he was a rapper back in the day. Mm. Shout out to LL Cool J. And he was like, if I can tell a story and a 10 year old can understand it, then I know I'm doing a good job. And I feel like with your mission where it's by leveraging silicone photonic biosensors, lower the cost of at home health testing by 100 X and provide results instantly. You are essentially going into an industry that is a battleship and you are attempting to turn the battleship around and completely revolutionize. Really what we're talking about is you're, you're revolutionizing health span. That's what Mm -hmm. this conversation is. Do you ever get overwhelmed by this? Because it is an incredibly large thing to go up against the ivory towers that have existed, not just in medical, but in testing and in labs, there are multi billions of dollars that are planted in place these structures that have been for so long and you're literally turning a battleship ripping it down to its frame and attempting to completely set a new course with maybe a whole new kind of boat that is a big task do you ever feel like you do you ever feel like you get intimidated by it i mean every industry goes through massive change but this is a big one once you start poking your fingers in medicine do you ever have any fears or any anxieties that come up um I actually think that um, the reason that the industry hasn't gone more in the direction of home testing historically is that the technology wasn't very good. So, you know, there's like paper strips and there are the glucose meters that work with like electrochemical sensors. And so those no, but those are never used in central labs. And it's they kind of know that it's impossible to get them to the point where they're as accurate as a central lab. And so our main thing that we're kind of hammering on always is what we launch for the home is going to have the same accuracy as a central lab. And that's, you know, given the fact that person's collecting their own sample. So of course, you know, if you put, if you put something, if you put milk in the, in there instead of your blood, we can't do anything about that. But like if the sample's collected correctly, you know, giving true lab quality results, I think that's been the biggest impediment. It's not that, you know, people in medicine don't want more information. Sometimes they don't, but there are enough, you know, it's a heterogeneous, right? Some of them do. Uh, and some of them talk about it all the time. So, so it's not that, and you know, even health insurance companies and whoever in reality they they would love to have information about what's going on, like predicting, even if they can't fix it, at least predicting what's going to happen to the people that they insure, right. Uh, yeah. would helps them understand, like, is, are we even in a sustainable business? But everybody wants this. It just has to be done right. It has to be lab quality. So people have tried like, okay, we're going to make something that kind of works and you know, it's in the home, so it gets a pass or whatever. Our goal is just lab quality. Uh, and you can see that even 
this, like the technology we sell now, which is not as advanced as the home device, it's all going to a central lab, is being run on FDA cleared instruments, whatever. Nobody went out and just built a product around this that was comprehensive and did as much as this, even though it was more or less possible. Like we, were in the, we weren't the only company that could have done this. Uh, and I think it's just because even this is kind of a new technology for medicine, right? So even 10 years ago, these cards didn't exist. Yeah. Uh, this way of preserving blood didn't exist. And if you send the blood in a tube, it has to be shipped on ice and everything. So it's just when the technology uh, is ripe, people change their minds about it. So now when people, let's say, take their Cyfox results to their doctor, we've had multiple people do this. Uh, you know, the doctor might retest them on a set. They, they tell them, okay, let's, let's rerun this marker in a central lab. Uh, but they take it seriously, you know, and a lot of people have had changes in the in the way they're being taken care of because they're able to actually show this data. So I, I, I'm not that skeptical about the industry turning around on on the idea of like preventative and it, it just needs to be cheap and easy. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of my perspective. It on seems it. like this tech would actually save the traditional labs time and money if they were to implement it. The funny thing is that in in uh, in medicine, the lab companies are not the villains, I wouldn't say, and they're not even big companies. So this is something that surprised the hell out of me. So coming from other industries where you have like, you know, Apple is a $500 billion company, whatever. The biggest lab companies, there's two of them, LabCorp and Quest, they're $15 billion companies, which is, I mean, that's large, but it's relatively small for something that serves every person in the country, yeah. right? So yeah. they're not actually doing that great. It's a commoditized business. They don't make that much money. A lot of the cost is just, you know, the fact that you have to go into an office, the phlebotomist, the moving the blood. It's a tough business and it's uh, forgotten by venture capitalists typically and investors in biotech and uh, uh, and medicine because it's not very profitable. So people focus on drugs because drugs are very profitable. Once you have, I mean, look at uh, the Ozempic, right? So that's Ooh. doing incredible, right? So there's never been a blood test that has made as much money as Ozempic, I guarantee you. So basically, uh, a lot of the focus and innovation is on drugs. It's just a forgotten part of the part of the industry. And it's, uh, I don't think there's a lot of like resistance to changing it if there was actually a solution. What there is, is a resistance to going out of their way to change it, right? Ooh. So, the, and that's something that, you know, the way we see it is we'll make it easy, right? Uh, and, and I think there's... Usually we don't we don't get that much negativity. The skepticism is more around, uh, you know, can you make this low cost? Can this can this be done conveniently and whatever? But if but doc doctors generally understand that this could be, or for example, can you do this in a way that's going to be manageable for the doctor, right? Because if they just have all this data coming in, they already have four minutes to see you, right? So how are they supposed to deal with this, right? So there's a whole software infrastructure that has to be built around it for it to be realistic, um, and a lot of like autonomy for the user. But I, but I think if you're practical, all of these things are solvable. I don't think there are any like entrenched interests that don't want people getting blood tests or anything like that. It's more just like a hard problem. It doesn't make much money compared to drugs. So people don't, you know, you can't put as many resources into solving it. If it was yeah. as profitable as Ozempic, I guarantee you, you would have, and there's proof of this, you would have, you know, some tiny blood test at home already. And the proof is the continuous glucose monitor. That thing is magical. And the reason they were able to build, for anyone who doesn't know, the continuous, I'm wearing one here. So the continuous glucose monitor is from, there's two companies, Abbott and Dexcom, but there were about, you know, 100 companies that tried to build this. It's, it's actually a filament that goes into your skin. It's implanted in your skin and it measures, uh, there's like a couple of electrodes there and it measures your glucose live in your interstitial fluid. This was a really hard problem. Abbott bought a company that did this 20 years ago. It took them, you know, 15 years to commercialize it. The reason that they could do it is that diabetes is just such a big problem and it's such a big market that it justified all this effort, right? So it's, uh, 
that's the main, there's no like fundamental reason you don't have a blood test at home now. It's really because it's been too difficult, it's too expensive, all this stuff. And as chip technology has gotten better, it's just become more realistic to fix this. Like if if we tried to do this 10 years ago, the technology wasn't there. I mean, it might have been possible, but the amount of investment, the amount of effort, everything would have been 10x. Uh, and so I, I think for that reason, there's no, it's not like, um, we don't have any fears about the industry or anything like that. I think we're only going to improve things uh, and generally get a, you know, you get a generally a very positive reception when you talk about this. People are just really concerned about accuracy. That's the mm -hmm. main thing. So as mm -hmm. long as you're very serious about accuracy, I, I don't really see it as a, see it as an issue. Well, making things easy is actually the most elegant thing you can do for any type of behavior change. Yep. One of the last questions I have for you, this has been great. I've really enjoyed the emotional component to this because you're, a, you look, you're a scientist, right? And so as a scientist, you, you tend to see, I'm sure, things in a certain way, zeros mm -hmm. and ones, linear and logical. But what I've really liked, and this happened when you came in, is you were talking to me about your time in China and the, the Chinese tea tables and how you make tea tables. And so the human element of this could not be more palpable for me because at the end of the day, it's written on the box right here, measure more, get results. If you want true results, you have to address all of the being, not just the physical. There's an emotional component to this. If you look at behavior change, and I, I remember what I interviewed um, one of BJ Fogg's students and also I've studied some of Charles Duhigg's work in his reward model and even thinking about the variable reward from near Ayal and all these people that have done tremendous research in behavior change. It's about, it's about the exterior locus of control that can actually over time shift your internal locus of control. So with that said, like we're both wearing the aura ring I see yeah, yeah. and, and data is a part of my life, but it doesn't run my life. How does using wearables actually help people change their behavior, especially when you pair it with something like, you know, mm -hmm. every three month, a quarterly blood test? How does that actually work? What have you seen from data on that? And just anecdotally, it makes sense to me. But from a data perspective, does wearables and biomarkers combine move people towards different behaviors? So when we were designing the product, we tried a lot of things, right? And we found, this was strange to me. So I tried all the different wearables, of course. And it was weird to me that there was no, as far as I know, that still doesn't exist. There was no one dashboard where you could see your blood results and, you know, a digest of your wearable data over the period before the blood test. So it would yeah. make sense. I want to know, like, how did I sleep for two weeks or a month before I took this blood test to see, like, is it actually having an effect? Another thing is, you know, studies show, let's say that sleep and inflammation are linked, but that means they're linked on average, not for you necessarily, right? So if you want to improve your inflammation, sleeping more might have no impact at all, right? And that's also something we see in our data. Uh, sleep and inflammation are correlated in 50% of people. Uh, so, so for some uh. people, they're just not correlated, right? So you're just, you know, um, and so, so some people can sleep like shit and be okay. Some, at least from an inflammation perspective. Yeah. That's so it might wild. be, it might be other things, right? We don't know, but it's just, I'm yeah. just saying if you're, if you just follow studies on paper, you're following the average human, which is what, where is that person? Right. Uh, so it's, it's certainly not you. So I think it was kind of obvious to us that this technology is getting better and better. Like wearables are, have gotten, you know, much better over the last five years. And it's also chips, right? That's why, that's why they're getting better because chips are getting better. It's, it was just an obvious thing. Like why, why wouldn't you want to see all of this information in one place? And so, and that's our philosophy in general. Like we focus on being the best blood test in the industry. And then we add other things kind of, I would say like we do a mediocre job with everything else, right? So we do, we're the best blood test in the industry, but then we have wearable integration. We'll summarize your wearable data and we're not going to go into it as deep as Aura. 
So if you want to know like super deep what's going on with your sleep, whatever, just open the Aura app. We'll give you your average sleep. Like how was your sleep? You know, we have three different things like uh, yeah. RAM, whatever it is, right? Uh, we'll we'll give you those numbers next to your blood data. We'll give you a score, but we're not going to say we're the experts in sleep, right? So we just kind of stick to being the experts in blood tests and then, but we build around it all the tools that allow you to like low effort again. And this is because honestly, there are different product philosophies. So some are, uh, I think I was going to go into this earlier and I, I didn't make it. So it's basically sometimes, you know, you interview a lot of users, you ask them what they want, whatever it is. And other products, like this is how Gmail was built, for example, they just built it for a couple of people. So uh, the guy who built Gmail he happens to actually be an investor in SciFox. So he, he was very involved with Y Combinator and so on afterwards. But when he, there's a podcast where he talks about this, which struck me like it's very interesting. When he built Gmail, he just built it for a few people at Google. His goal was to get them to switch from their regular email client to Gmail, which is tough, right? Like if I come to you and say, change the way you do email, it's difficult because you're constantly doing email. You're very used, very used to it. So this product in many ways was just built for a few people, but we built it so that we actually would use it, right? So it's like super low effort, like this, this kind of stuff. And that's, that's our philosophy. Like we do a lot of things mediocre, super low effort. So like you don't have to be looking at an app for three hours to figure out your sleep or whatever. It's just one number in the dashboard. But, uh, so it's, it's, it's just done okay, but it's in the same place as your blood results, which are really the anchor of how we view like tracking somebody's health, right? That's really the most important thing. Uh, and everything else is ancillary, but it's a tool to get it all, you know, just improve it and see what's going on. So is your sleep actually affecting this marker? That kind of thing. So that's how we view wearables. Um, it's something that we're always tracking. We integrate with like 200 different wearables. Uh, and I'm always really excited to see like what's coming next in that space. Um, but I think it's, uh, it's somewhat done. So I'm not sure what will be, can they come up with anything more, Yeah. but, uh, we'll see. Uh, but I, I really like the aura. I think, uh, it's one of the best ones. Uh, and, and a lot of our users will use that one, but it's, uh, th that's kind of how I see it. We're not experts in it, but we make it possible to have it all in one place. And that's what makes it really low effort. Have you ever seen that movie Gattaca? Do you know about yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so in Gattaca, they had like all these biometrics that they were testing and biomarkers and yep. they had like thumb. I think he even faked his thumbprint. Like yeah, he got yeah, someone yeah. else's skin and he got in there. And I think that movie really set a tone for people how powerful introspection from a biological level can actually be. When you know your numbers, they they had class warfare in that mm -hmm. movie, where if you had certain biomarkers and your genetics came out in a certain way, you literally had more life opportunities. Yeah. I would actually say that Gattaca is here in some way on planet Earth. Mm -hmm. If you have an epigenetic uh, expression because of your environment, like you're in a more economically diverse climate, you're not economically depressed, you probably are going to have more opportunities just like they had in Gattaca. And I think if people can actually use this and you make this so affordable that people can. So thank you for that. By the way, it's on the screen right now. It's joshtrent.com forward slash blood test. And that'll take you right to the website. You just enter the code Josh 10. It's 10% off. It's already very cheap, by the way, the test. So I don't know how y'all did that. Took these huge machines and boiled it down so that you can actually put it in a lab and test from the paper freaking amazing. But the roundabout question I'm getting to is like, if we tune in to how our body actually is from a data perspective, from, from a true physiology, and we just, over the course of time, we just almost like the bumpers in the bowling lane, we just get ourselves to bowl more strikes and we just slowly ad adapt in better behaviors. We actually can create more wealth for ourselves. We can have better relationships. We can live longer. That's the whole point 
of why we sit at this table, Mike, is how do I live my life well? What are your thoughts on that? How do you see that on a macro and a micro, uh, economic, behavior change, all the things, wellness perspective? I'm from an immigrant family. I think in, uh, you know, in other countries that have a longer history, it's harder to do new things, but they do have a lot of things that work. So for example, like the diets are more, you know, it, there's kind of a progression for the last 3000 years of what people are eating in America, you show up and it's like deep fried Oreos, you know, whatever. Right. So it's, it's like, <laughs> it's super extreme for people that are not from yeah, here. Right. Yes, so, yes. you know, for the first half of my life or whatever, you know, until, until I became an adult, I really wasn't exposed much to that at all. Cause I was living in New York and mostly eating at home with like, you know, just Soviet food, uh, you know, whatever, like buckwheat or something. And, uh, it getting exposed, you know, because New York is also not America, right? Like once I left New York and actually went out into the wide world, I was like amazed at what's going on. But it's, uh, there are also all these benefits of not having the board, the, the kind of like the cage of culture, right? So America is like, you know, you can do, be very different and it's much more difficult to be different and, and novel yeah. in other countries. But I think what comes with that is that you just have to be more careful because you're doing, I mean, we discussed this, you're just trying things that nobody's ever tried before. You know, nobody's ever tried there. There's no history of like a hundred generations living on TV dinners, you know, like Koreans have been eating kimchi. They don't remember when they started doing this. Right. And obviously there's just this, uh, history of this working, right? Like if it was really bad for you, most things like that, they kind of get evolutionarily removed. Right. Yeah. And we don't have that with a lot of things that Americans are doing and maybe some of them are amazing. Right. But it's, you definitely just have to put a little bit more effort into being aware of what's going on with you. Right. Because you're not being taken care of by this ancestral thing that kind of got worked out already. You're, you're on your own, Ooh. you know, you have the chance to be incredible. You have the chance to whatever, you know, watch Fox news and MSNBC and eat TV dinners and like whatever, you know, like all the, all the fast food is there, right. That you can, you, and it's just what it is. And I think it's uh it has its upsides and downsides, but that's why having tools like this is good. And, and again, we didn't come to this from being, you know, I'm not a fitness influencer, you know, anything like that. We're just, there's just an obvious need for this kind of tool, right? Yeah. And people can apply it in their lives. We've done it and we, we, for ourselves, and we kind of built something that we, we know is useful because we use it. Uh, and I think honestly that literally every American should be getting a test like this at least once a year, you know, probably four times a year. If they're trying to optimize something even more often, as they get more affordable, it's going to be possible to do it more frequently. Uh, if you're really working on something, you know, you can just do, let's say a testosterone test many times. I think it's absolutely um, affordable now for like a couple hundred bucks. You can get an entire window into your health. Yeah, yeah, when, yeah. And when in history could we ever get something that cheap? That's why I'm saying, I don't know how y'all did it, but it's amazing. If we were in a rational world, this would already be part of your healthcare, right? Because it's just so, such low hanging fruit. Yeah. The problems that you might catch or that you can optimize against are super expensive, not just for you, but for everybody, right? The whole system, your family, you know, once these things go wrong, they're very hard to fix. Yeah. I'm really hopeful that it's going to turn into something like the food sensitivity test where it's just people are at least curious enough to do it at a very large scale. So millions and millions of people and the data that we are able to collect from. So look, just look at the metadata, right? We don't look at any personal individual data. We don't even collect, for example, genomic data. People are often worried about that. So we don't need, there's no, no sample is actually saved, but just the metadata of seeing so many people at, on a broader blood test will also help us improve the insights and everything else and help people predict what's going to happen to them. Uh, give them better information. And I think that can be like a really good fly flywheel for actually improving the health 
overall, like just of, of everybody involved, right? And that this is something that I'm sure many other companies will come out with blood, broader blood tests, and there already are, right? So there are more expensive, more concierge solutions out there, but those are, I'm sure, will 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 improve as well. And I think it's just something that should be a big part of healthcare, uh, but it isn't. And hope you know, hopefully, we'll make a we'll make a dent in that. I think uh, we are right now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, literally, when someone is watching this, they're feeling like, okay, I can be my own essentially scientist. I can work with professionals with real data and I don't have to spend hours sitting at the doctor's office going through all of this insanity. I'll say it. I know you may not be able to say it. Um, the sick care system. It's a sick yeah, care yeah. system. It has nothing really to do with health. They're good at fixing broken bones or an emergency situation, so they're necessary. There's a box that you brought in the studio, and I want to know what's in this box because I'm guessing that it has something to do with the next evolution of the company. And I'm curious yeah. as we say goodbye, what's in the box? And then what kind of clearance did this have to go through? What are you most excited about? What's in the box? <laughs> okay, <laughs> what so, movie is that? What's in the box? Um, that's funny. So as we have more and more tools around the blood test, we basically put together like a membership, we call it a membership toolkit. So it's essentially a place where first of all, you can store everything, but also it kind of organizes the experience. Uh, so one thing we do is anybody who buys, this is also the lowest cost way to use the product. The way it works is that you have a membership which costs $16 a month. And then every time you take a blood test, you get billed. So you can take them or not. You, you, there's no like subscription where, you know, they pile up or whatever. So if you don't take them, we don't uh, we don't charge you. Uh, and then you automatically get shipped a new one. And then if you use it, you get billed. Ooh. And it's the lowest cost option for, for taking a test with us. Uh, but we also provide this membership also provides you access to all the other tools. So out of we know already that Americans just typically have a terrible circadian rhythm because they're using their phone in bed. No doubt. And all these other things. So we don't even ask. We just ship the we got like very nice blue light blockers in bulk and we just ship them because that's like, you know, that's amazing. If 10 percent of the users who get this just wear yes. them, we've already done a you know, we've done a good thing. Right. Yeah. So we just ship them. We don't even ask. And then um we include, so it depends on, you know, you have the option to get continuous glucose monitors through this. We're about to launch supplements. So we're working with a company that uh, they do all the supplements for like major sports teams and things like that. So it's very high quality huh. supplements. We're obviously not a, you know, we're not a supplement company. We're not a CGM company. We're not a blue light blocker company. So what, why are we doing this? Again, it's just a, it's, it's a thing of convenience. Like Sweet. people, people do what's convenient, right? So we just offer all these things. We actually don't try to make a profit on them. Uh, we just pass through the cost essentially so that the, if you want to do something. So for example, if you get your blood work, when we launch supplements, we'll say, okay, these are, this is the package of supplements that you should be getting. Right. And this is, you know, just the basic, like we're not trying to sell you 30 supplements. It's like we, it's very well proven you should be doing these two things, right? And then uh, we basically just make it very easy for you to get that. Um, and that's our philosophy. Like we're just trying to make the thing more valuable as a whole. Um, and I think we're able to do that more than other companies because we have this hardware component to the company. So we're able to think much more long-term. Is if you look at like, why is Apple so valuable? It's because of the hardware. So they're able, it's just very sticky. Like once you have the hardware, uh, you're in that system and and it's you can look at longer time horizons. Yeah. And so for us, we're just trying to grow this as much as possible, get as many people into blood testing now and into optimizing their health so that we have a like a bigger install base essentially for the hardware in the long run. So it allows us to be a little bit more flexible with how we price things, uh, you know, how we market them and everything. We don't have that like short term thing that happens a lot. Uh, I would say like in the wellness industry, unfortunately, because it's just 
Yeah. You know, it's just you're reselling something or whatever. So we, we're trying to think much more long term, uh, do this like behavior change where people can learn to do blood testing, health optimization yes. and everything yes. else. It's so noble, man. It really is because there's a lot of things that people waste money on, especially in the biohacking world. Yeah. There's some in the guest bedroom here in the studio. Like they're cool, but they ain't going to move the needle. They're, they ain't low hanging fruit. This is. And there's this false dichotomy as we say goodbye on the podcast now that I wish you'd speak to. And the dichotomy is, well, I, I can make a difference, but then I can't make a dollar. No, I actually see this as both. So for you mm-hmm. making a difference and making a dollar, maybe not a bunch of dollars now, but down the road, this, this old m- mentality of like, oh, well, I can't be wealthy and actually have integrity. We don't talk about that on the show because I don't believe in that mentality, but I know that somebody watching or listening, they may have had parents that shared with them that mentality. Mm. They may have come from a broken financial home or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Can you speak to that, you know, to, to make a difference in people's health and to make revenue for you and your team? Like that's a yeah. big feat, but that's what makes life so fun is that we can do both. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's getting easier and easier, I would say paradoxically. I mean, I think in many ways, in some, I mean, some ways life is getting harder, right? Things are getting more expensive and so on, but it's uh, because of the way that like technology is accelerating and other things, there are actually more and more people who are, uh, I would say mostly Silicon Valley is responsible for this. However much you might hate some of the things they've done or whatever they have, there is this really positive mentality there that like you're really trying to take a shot at something big. So you'll give up the short term for that. Yeah. And that's a really yeah. good mentality. And, and, Usually the thing is, if you really want to be very successful, large scale, it's possible to do it a different way, but it's much easier if you're very long-term thinking, because then you can recruit more people, right? So just good people want a long-term, they want to see something happen, right? They don't want a short-term result typically, right? Because that result is usually just for whoever, you know, the person in charge, right? If you're an employee somewhere, uh, you're not making the money anyway to to a large sure, extent. Sure. I mean, there are there are examples of startups that are really. Pr- I mean, I you know I don't remember the name of this startup, but there's a company that came out during the pandemic that just prescribes uh, Adderall. So they like made it legal to prescribe stuff by Zoom because of uh, of the pandemic. And some company like put out like 10 million prescriptions for Adderall, you know, to people who probably didn't need it. And uh, you know that kind of stuff happens. But I think it's. Uh, Typically, if you want to work with good people, they usually want to be doing something good yeah. uh, and like positive in the long run. And, and I think, you know, in the end, the same is even true for, for investors. So if you have really high quality investors, yes, they want to make money, but they've already made money. Right. So mm. they usually want to see something that's going to have a big impact where they have like a legacy from it and, and things like that. So I think it, it, it all fits well together. It's um, and the more you expand the scope of what you're doing, the easier it gets. So it's like if you're working on some single small thing and it's like hard to make that profitable or whatever without screwing your customers, just expand what you're doing until you're doing enough <laughs> that uh, you can have a big impact and you don't have to like do like small trades. Right. And that's kind of how I see it. Uh, and that's so far been working out for us. Well, uh, the long game is the more fun game, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, exactly. The short term game might be cool, but it ends really quickly. And so I want to live in this game life as long as I can. And, you know, hopefully I really feel like this, this tool set can be a way that we can do that. You know, it can accelerate Mm -hmm. not just the quality of our life, but it's something freaking actionable. There's so much woo woo and so much insanity in the world of wellness, man. I, I see a lot of it, Mike. And, and this is something that's really tactical and really like from the ground up, you can do this. It's affordable. It's on the screen again right now, joshtrent.com 
forward slash blood test and the code is Josh 10. So Mike gave you 10% off. So thank you to Mike. Thank you to SciFox. We covered a lot of ground, man. What yeah. did we miss when we look at this concept of at-home blood testing, you know, the, the regulations of FDA and everything that you're up against and everything that you're for, everything mm -hmm. that you're creating. What do we miss? Like what else do people get to know? What should we know about at-home blood testing? So, so probably there's just two things we've covered a ton here, which has been really fun. Uh, there's probably two things that I just, I haven't mentioned that are, that are worth mentioning, uh, depending on who's watching this. So one is if you like experimenting with stuff and you, you want to go like the extra mile, uh, you can actually get onto the, I mentioned this briefly, but you can get onto a waiting list. We're going to have a big study where we actually enroll people to use the at-home device. So again, this is now being run in a very conventional way. It's the best on the market, but the really exciting thing is going to be this device, uh, and there's a, we'll do a big study where you're getting mail-in tests in parallel to a device at home. So you can, for example, if your testosterone is low, you can then measure your testosterone more frequently as you're making changes. So you do your test every quarter, let's say, and then you have a testosterone test twice a month. Um, so that, that's, that's one awesome. thing. And so we'll uh, it, that's on the website. And then um, the second thing is we actually also, again, we're just trying to get this out there. So we also partner a lot with like coaches or small businesses or really whoever that wants to have blood testing as part of what they're doing. So if they have something else going on, let's say uh, you do coaching and that can be, you know, as broad as even we even do things with people that are doing more like mental health, right? Because a lot of this stuff is just linked, but, uh, and you want to have a blood testing component in that, that allows you to unlock, for example, uh, you know, a better coaching experience or a better nutrition experience, a better supplements experience, whatever it is. Uh, we actually have a super easy way to do that. We have very transparent pricing. Uh, it's directly on the website also, and you can essentially, it's co-branding. So you put your logo on our kit. We help you do all the blood testing. We take care of it. Uh, we still review everything before it's released to your clients. So you don't have to be an expert in blood testing. Uh, but you can add your own insights to the reports and things like that. And that basically just allows us to get out there to more people uh, and in a different context. So for example, we're never going to do mental health counseling, right? But in reality, depression is frequently linked to, you know, issues like health issues, right? So having that screened before you start going down the route of whatever it is else, right, makes a lot of sense. So that's something where uh, if you're already in the business of trying to help people with their health and you're not doing blood testing, we make it incredibly easy to add that. Um, and that, and that I think is, I think it can be very impactful. So that's just something I wanted to mention. That's really huge. So this is going to be probably one of our biggest show notes ever. We've talked about movies, resources, <laughs> science, like we've, we've gone down and into all the weeds on this one. And they were really fun weeds too. I love this because, you know, I, I got away from the quantified self community cause it was so heady and I, I stopped going to the conferences, but I believe in it. I think when we look at behavior change, like what allowed me to change my behavior was constantly looking within. And sometimes in our world where we're constantly outside of ourselves, we need stuff like this to bring us back to our intuition, which is actually where all of the decisions come from anyways, if we're conscious. So man, as we say goodbye, how would you define everything we've discussed today? The encapsulation of why you're in the world and what the hell we're doing here. How do you live your life well? What does that even mean to you? How would you define wellness? You know, whatever I do doesn't apply very well to people that have, I have a lot of motivation, right? So it's like as a base level, right? So that part is kind of taken care of. Like I get up every day, I just want to work, right? So I don't have to like worry about that part. So yeah, for me, me for me, it's mainly yeah. <laughs> trying to direct that somewhere where it's actually connected. Like I was saying, it's, you know, you're not just running the engine, it's actually connected to the wheels. So that's really what I like, what makes me happier is mm -hmm. when I actually see that, okay, all this work I'm doing, it's leading to something, right? I'm not, I'm not just like 
doing cycles, right? Uh, and so that's one of the reasons that even though, to be honest with you, the actual technology, like the hardware part of this company, intellectually is super exciting to me. Like I love working in the lab, you know, I'm still doing it all the time and so on and working with our scientists, you know, who are in the lab on a daily basis. Like I, I'm very involved in that, but the seeing people actually using the blood test, even this version of it, that's not, you know, it's going to be 10 times better when it's fully at home, seeing them get real benefit from it and seeing how like the science actually bears out in people's lives, like in a practical way, that's been really exciting for me and it's it's very rewarding, right? So it, it makes it, again, people talk about like the stress of, of uh, being a founder and everything like that. I think if you if people are really using the product and getting benefit from it, it kind of smooths over a lot of that. Mm. Uh, so I think that that's been great. And that's something that, uh, you know, it's, it's amazing to, to be on this podcast because it's just exciting to get, get this message out to more people, get more people yeah. running blood tests. That's, that's kind of what, what makes me happy at this point. I'm with you, Mike. This has been exceptional. Y'all share this podcast with somebody that needs to take this test, which is, I think, all humans, anybody that breathes. So thank you for coming on, Mike. Until we see you again, we're all wishing you love and wellness. Y'all go out there, do something you enjoy, make meaning of this world because life is finite and we don't get off this earth alive. So we'll talk to you guys soon. Wishing you love and wellness. Peace. This podcast is supported by your support and by the support of our sponsor, Organifi. My friend Drew Canoli many years ago had a vision to make the best tasting green, adaptogenic morning energy bursting drink with all the phytonutrients and actually have it taste great. And to date, it is the best green drink well, actually, it's the only green drink that I'll ever drink. I don't like any of the rest of them. They all kind of taste like grass that's been sitting in the sun. I really mean this. Like this juice is the best tasting juice. You got to try this. They give a 30-day money back. You most likely won't give it back because it's super tasty. It's gone through this huge, beautiful organic certification process and also a taste testing process. 99% of green juices out there are horrible. Most green drinks taste like grass clippings. But if you head to joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi and use the code wellnessforce, Drew gave you 20% off. It is a grandfather deal we baked in years ago, this best tasting green juice out there. Go to joshtrent.com forward slash Organifi and get this green juice, pick up the red, pick up the gold, pick up a whole bunch of products that are all organic, all tasty, and all wholesome that'll actually be good for the cells way deep down in your body. You'll be ecstatic about what you see and how you feel. joshtrend.com forward slash Organifi. Use the code wellnessforce. You get 20% off.